Welcome to the Life 21 Church Podcast. Thanks for joining with us today as we explore the Gospel of Matthew. We pray that as you listen, you would come to more fully understand the answer to this age-old question, who is this Jesus? Can you believe it? We are on to week 11 of 17. Today is Matthew 18, a new chapter, verses 1 through 14, and it's all about Jesus' love for children. Verse 1 of chapter 18 says this, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is one of their most frequently discussed topics was who was the greatest among them. There was such a deep desire in the heart of these disciples to be great. I believe that that's part of even why God called these 12. He had designed them, the Father had chosen them before the foundations of the world to be those great ones. It says that their names are even on the 12 gates of the new Jerusalem. So I want to encourage you today, if you find that in your heart is such a desire for greatness, that desire is from God, though it can be misaimed and misconstrued due to lies and fear, Jesus looks to show them the path for greatness rather than trying to shut down or destroy their desire for greatness. Verse 2, Jesus responds by calling a little child. He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't yet hit the topic of greatness in the kingdom of heaven. He says you can't even get into the kingdom in order to be great in it unless you change, repent, turn, and become like little children. What is entrance into the kingdom of heaven? It's honoring and receiving the work of the gate or the doorway. Jesus said in John 10, I'm the gate. I am the gate. It's a childlike heart that says, Jesus, I need you. I can't do it on myself. I can't be righteous on my own strength. I can't figure it out with my own mind. I need you. It's simply a coming back to how we were designed to always be completely dependent and interconnected and one with the source of everything good. Jesus continues in verse 4 saying, Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Not only is childlikeness the means by which to enter, it's the means by which to experience greatness in the kingdom of heaven. And what is greatness in the kingdom of heaven? Greatness is described as an obedience and a responsiveness to God's love, God's word, and God's commandments. It's about what we do, but it's much more than that. Our status, quote-unquote, in the kingdom of heaven is much less about how many good deeds we do and how hard we work to try to be superior to others. It's a greatness that isn't even based on superiority, 
though that's how we measure greatness in this world, is in comparison and contrast to one another in a self-centered way. This greatness is a greatness of having a legacy and a story in which you gave yourself to God in deep and profound trust. And in that, he was just able to give you more than if you hadn't. The greatness is how much you're able to receive, not so much do it manifest in how you respond and what you do, but the greatness is what you receive from God as the source of all goodness. So may we all enter the kingdom like children. May we all be great in the kingdom of heaven by humbling ourselves. The means to greatness in the kingdom is humbling yourself. There are many ways in the scripture by which we humble ourselves. David, I believe it was for sure in the Psalms, but I believe it was David, said, I humbled my soul through fasting. It's funny that fasting can both make you spiritually proud if you let it, but can also incredibly humble you. There's so many ways that we can humble ourselves, approaching those that we trust in authority and humbling ourselves and saying, how can I love you better? How can I grow? Where am I failing? Where am I operating in pride? So many ways I encourage you to ask God to show you how you could engage in more humbling or consistently humbling yourself before him in his ways so that you could receive more and receive the greatness of what he wants to give to you. Verse 5, And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. This line is so dynamic. Think of when Jesus was at the Last Supper, which we just celebrated this last week with Easter, and he's at the Last Supper and he says, this is my body, this is my blood. What he's speaking of an incarnational reality in which we take the body and the blood of Jesus through receiving the physical elements of food and drink, of bread and wine, or bread and drink. In a similar but different way, Jesus is saying that when you welcome a little physical child in his name, so that's for his glory in his nature, based on his leadership, it has to do with him and his name, his glory, his nature being involved in the transaction. You can't call it a transaction, but you know what I'm saying. When we welcome and love on a little child like this as representatives of Christ caring for those that he cares for, we actually get to welcome in and host the person of Christ who manifests himself to us through that little child. Later in Matthew, Jesus will say the same thing regarding the least of these, brothers and sisters that are suffering in prison and in poverty. When we're doing these things, we literally step into a moment of encounter by which he manifests himself. So let's be on the lookout for ways to encounter Jesus, not just in our own prayer closet, but as we actively move out and welcome and care for the ones who are near and dear to his heart. Verse 6, Jesus continues, But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. 
Picture someone literally having a massive millstone. These were huge stones used to grind up grain. Donkeys and oftentimes multiple animals would be attached to this thing to turn it in order to do the grinding. Think of this massive stone being wrapped around your neck and then you being thrown off a bridge into the ocean. That is the visceral, intense picture that Jesus is wanting to cause his listeners to feel. If you are causing little children to stumble, you are guaranteeing you being drowned in death and you're wrapping the judgments of God around your neck and you'll be thrown into destruction. What a stern warning. It's a stern warning that causes us to fear and tremble in a godly way concerning how serious he is about causing other ones to stumble, namely in this context, little children. But it's also such an intense and profound encouragement to children that read this, to parents, of God's intensity to protect, provide for uh, those that are vulnerable. Verse 7, Jesus continues with very dynamic words. He says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come. These things, they're going to keep coming. They are going to come. They were destined to come. They're all part of the story of God giving man and Satan and spirits free will. Such things must come, but woe to the man or the person through whom they come. We do not want evil coming through us. It's amazing how evil in this world is constantly looking to come. Just as the Father is looking to release his goodness and his glory through human agreement on earth as it is in heaven, Satan and the evil spirits can only function in counterfeit or imitating. And all that they're trying to do is to do the same as God to find people that they can speak out lies to, that once humans agree with them, they can manifest their nature, manifest their power. We know that God's looking for those that will agree with him and his truth. Satan's looking for those that will agree with him and his lies. And woe to the one through whom this dysfunction, this sin, this death comes. Jesus shows how intensely we should relate to sin trying to come through us. Verse 8, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. This is such a dynamic passage, and it's a repeat of a similar teaching Jesus released in the Sermon on the Mount. In it, you you see such an extreme warning that true life is not now, it's to come. He says it's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled. It'd be better for you to show up on that day when Jesus invites us into eternal life, that he has to give your maimed or crippled body a resurrected body versus you having a seemingly good body. And then when the resurrection comes, you're actually thrown into the fires of hell or the lake of fire and eternal destruction. 
It's a real call to radical devotion, radical sacrifice, and a willingness to see how God sees it in light of eternity. Jesus continues following up with this incredibly difficult, powerful, profound warning. Do not cause any little one to stumble. And if you're doing that in a way that compromises your future, take it seriously. Invite the surgeon, the great physician Jesus in to cut out that stuff that causes you to sin. He continues in verse 10 saying, See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Not only does Jesus want us to not cause little ones to stumble, he's also wanting us to not even look down upon in a spirit of dishonor or being condescending. He's imparting to us an incredible culture of honor that is how his kingdom operates, how the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit operate, and how we can operate. Think of that of every time that we look at a little child or that we look at each other as adults. We not only see the person, but we see the Father's attitude and opinions towards the person. Not even that, we go further and we begin to honor, revere, and be aware of that their guardian angels or the ministering spirits that are assigned to them as servants also have direct access to the face of the Father and represent the Father as servants to these glorious sons and daughters of His. Talk about a culture of honor. As we begin to move in that all the more, there is such a freedom and a power as we all walk into the greatness in the kingdom of heaven that Jesus says is ours. Jesus goes on to express it further. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth. He is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Jesus has such a deep love for the children. He desires that not a single one would be lost. The prayer prompt for today is, Jesus, is there anything I can sacrifice that would lead to less evil functioning through me? I encourage you to take time to talk about that with the Lord so that not only with children, but with all those in your life that you have influence over, may you be freed from causing people to stumble in sin and may you step into the greatness that comes by trusting in Christ and obeying his every word. Thanks for joining with us today. May God continue to reveal to you by his spirit who indeed is this Jesus. Thank you.